All right, well, we are about to go into our third week in our series on joy. So we've been for three weeks, we've been focusing on joy. Now I'm at audience participation here. For three weeks, we've been focusing on what? Joy. joy. For three weeks, we've been focusing on what? Joy. There you go. And we've learned that God has a passion for joy, that Jesus is the most joyful person who ever walked the face of the earth. Not only does he have a passion for joy, uh, for his joy, but he has a passion for your joy. God desires you to have joy. And that's what we've been learning from God's word. So if you'll take out your Bible, John 17, verse 13 has been our key verse for this series. This incredible statement by Jesus. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you can find one underneath a seat in front of you. Uh, You can pull out your phone, pull out your tablet, whatever. If you have a paper copy, way to go. John 17, 13, Jesus speaking, and he says to the Father, he's in prayer, he says, I'm coming to you now, speaking to the Father. He says, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, his teaching, right? So that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. There we've seen the full measure of Jesus' joy and his desire that it would be within us. God has a passion for joy, and he has a passion for your joy. Not only does he have a passion for your joy, but he has a plan for our joy. His teaching. Jesus is saying here that those who take my teaching and let it uh, come into their lives and transform the way they live, that the fruit of that, what will come out in the end, will be a life marked with joy. God's commands are for our joy. And today we're going to learn that within God's word, there are some very specific practices that God gives us for our joy. So the title of today's message is God's Practices for Our Joy. And what I want to walk you through are seven practices that we see in Scripture that all lead to and help us to grow in joy. Now, practice is such a powerful thing. We often talk about it uh, a lot as a church. And in our discipleship school, Matt Fisher, uh, who helps lead the school, was giving a talk on the power of practice for spiritual growth. And he shared an example from his own life, uh, just a lesson that he learned about the power of practice. And I want to share it with you. I asked his permission. Uh, You'll get why in just a moment. At the beginning of 2018, Matt, since the Lord, uh, put on his heart, Matt, I want to teach you about the power of practice. So I want you to draw for 10 minutes a day. I want you to draw faces for 10 minutes a day. Now, Matt is a computer programmer. He's not an artist, uh, but he wanted to respond to what he felt like God was putting on his heart. So at the beginning of January last year, he started out. First 10 minutes, and I'll show you drawing number one. So, see that? Uh, that's a polite chuckle uh, there, right? It's, it's not that good. You should tell Matt, you know, keep your day job, buddy. Keep programming away. Don't know that art is in your future. That's where he began, okay? Three months later, not a whole year, three months later, 10 minutes a day, practice little, 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 little. This was where he arrived. Okay, now, now go back to the first one. Now go to the second one. Isn't that amazing? It's like you move from a guy where you're like, you know what? I don't know that art is your thing to, wow, you're very talented at drawing. But it wasn't just talent that just kind of erupted naturally. That came out of specific practicing day in and day out. Practice has power for our lives. 
And there's so many things in the kingdom of God. There's so many things in growing in your faith in Christ that if we will practice them, right, it creates an environment for the Holy Spirit to move in our lives, to bring transformation, to bring healing, to bring growth. We make ourselves available through the practices, and the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in and strengthens us and helps us to grow. And so we're going to be learning about practices today. Before we do that, though, I need to share with you kind of a basic framework around happiness or joy so that we can understand how the practices would impact our joy, right? Because God has specific things for us to practice for our joy. And interestingly enough, there are uh, researchers who study, their career is devoted to studying happiness and what makes for happiness. Why are people happy? How do they become happy? Just studying that topic in particular. And there's one woman, a doctor named Sonia, and I will struggle with her last name. You'll see why in just a moment. It is quite long. Uh, Liu Bormiski. Hopefully I got it close. If you can put that slide up, uh, you can read her name. She wrote a book called The How of Happiness. And it talks about her research. She's a Harvard PhD who's now a professor at University of California, I believe, or University of Southern California, one of those two. And she studied what makes people happy. And what her and her colleagues found out, uh, they found out happiness was built on three things. 50% genetic. So there is some genetic basis to our natural kind of disposition toward happiness, right? And you've seen that in life. There's some people that it just seems like they always woke up on the right side of the bed. They're just happy people. And there are other people that seem like they always woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And they're just kind of gravitate towards grouchiness, grumpiness, just being a little disgruntled. And you're probably somewhere on that spectrum. And what the research shows is there's genetic basis. They were all kind of wired uh, a certain way. What's interesting, though, is that that's not the only factor in happiness. It's not just our genetics. The second factor in happiness, and this was surprising, was that people's happiness levels were only affected by their circumstances by about 10%. Meaning the, the impact that our circumstances have on our happiness levels is about 10%. Isn't that counterintuitive? Because I always think, man, if I could get through this or get there or have this or do this, then I, that would make me happy. And what the research showed is, well, yeah, circumstances do make a difference, but it's not as significant as we would probably think. And what they found was that 40% of someone's happiness level was based on something that you and I have control over. We don't really have control over our genetics. We don't always have control over our circumstances. But 40% of what made for happiness was someone's, one individual's attitude and behaviors. What we think and what we do. And that that factored in 40% of what influenced someone's happiness. So they said this research pokes a hole in three common myths Related to happiness. And I bet you've thought or known someone who's thought these things, right? And what they said is th these things are, are more myths around happiness. First one is that some people are just happy and some people are not. What the research shows is, yes, that, that can be a, a starting place. But that all of us have power to choose happiness or choose joy. 
The second myth that it kind of deflated was that I need to go out and find happiness through this experience or achieving this or going here or doing that. They said that's not really the biggest lever when it comes to if you want a happy, joyful life. That's not the biggest lever. The biggest lever is not your circumstances. The biggest lever is what's going on inside of you and me right now, today, our thought life, our attitude, and our actions. And the third thing that this uh, kind of highlighted for them in a fresh way was that happiness is not just something that just comes upon you, but it's something that you can practice and grow into. That people can grow to be more joyful through simple practices like we're going to learn today that put into place over time lead to a life marked by joy. That's the, the, the secular-based research. I mean, that's their, their research in the lab. And so interesting, and that provides the framework for these practices that I'm going to share with you. So I'm going to share with you seven practices that will impact that 40% of the pie chart. That will impact attitude, choices, behaviors, will influence us towards happiness. And what I'd encourage you to do, the, the way to get the most out of what we're about to experience is if you'll write down the seven things, the seven practices, and I'm not giving you like a to-do list for you to take those and go do every one of them this year. All I'm saying is I want to show you seven things from God's Word that are practices that He gives us for our joy. And then I want to challenge you at the end of this to pray and ask the Lord to show you which one of those things is He highlighting for you that would be a step for you towards growing in joy This year. So, first practice uh, is what I've called daily FaceTime. Now, depending on your generation, some people call it devotional, some people call it quiet time. If you're from a liturgical background, you call it the daily office. If you're younger, you might call it FaceTime. But simply what this is, is taking time each and every day to get alone with Jesus and to meet with Him through word and through prayer, to read the scripture, read the Bible, and to pray. And the key scripture for this uh, as it relates to joy is Psalm 16, 11. One we've gone over several times in this series. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That idea of joy in God's presence. So when we come into the presence of God, when we meet with Jesus... When we encounter Jesus through his word and through prayer, we are encountering someone who is marked by joy. And what scripture would tell us is we come before him, he fills us with joy. Uh, There's a gentleman that I consider a hero named George Mueller. He lived in the uh, 1800s or 1700s, 1800s rather, uh, and he did a significant amount of orphan care. He cared for and started orphanage for thousands of children in his day. And, uh, and I read in his biography, it was so interesting. You think with thousands of kids depending on you, you would just be so busy and inundated with things to do. And he said, yes, I was. But the most important thing for me each day in order to be able to do this great work that God had called me to was to meet with the Lord in the morning and to get my heart happy in God. And he said, from that place of experiencing the joy of the Lord, that became strength for him to go out and fulfill the thing that God had given him to do. 
I've experienced this in my own life. This, for me, is one of the biggest uh, indicators or impact events on my happiness level is when I take time. Uh, it's my daily practice, but sometimes I miss, but, but so often take time to meet with the Lord in this way, right? And you'll just feel your emotional chemistry change. It's not that every day is fireworks in the sky. That happens sometimes. A lot of times it's just showing up and being faithful. But there's some work that the Holy Spirit does as we practice coming before the Lord and meeting with Him. So maybe that's a practice for you this year, or maybe you've been doing it, and it's like, man, I'm already down the road. This is encouraging. I'm already investing toward growing in joy. Uh, But that's a great one, practice number one. Practice number two was surprising to me, uh, was gathered singing gathered singing. I don't know that any of us would put that on our predictor of happiness or practices for happiness, but the scripture says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. All in all, the Bible contains over 400 references to singing. 400 references. 50 direct commands. 50 times in scripture does God command us to sing to him. So interesting. There's like the psalm that we just read. And as we sing to him like we just did a few moments ago, as we gathered together for worship, as we sing, I want to show you how it leads to our joy. Scientists have studied what happens when we sing, and what they've found is that singing releases chemicals in our brain and in our body that make us happier, healthier, smarter, and more creative. Every time you sing, you fire up the right temporal lobe of your brain, and it releases endorphins into your body. Uh, Those endorphins, these chemicals, enhance your neuroplasticity. They boost your immune, immune system. They help you fight illness, depression, strokes, and help us handle pain better. The power of singing. And they said, what's really interesting is that when you uh, bring people together, so not just you singing in your shower or singing in the car, but when, they, when you come together with people, the impact of the singing multiplies. The impact was significantly higher. So now I'm not much of a singer. I don't have a great voice. I didn't grow up in a very musical family. Uh, The church that I attended growing up, we didn't, you know, it wasn't really like a singing church uh, type deal. You you held your hymnal and you kind of looked at it, but you weren't really singing. So learning to sing in worship has been an acquired skill for me. It's been something that I've had to learn. But man, what a difference it can make. And so I realize not everyone here feels like I'm a great singer or this is kind of just what I'm used to, or some of you do, but a lot of us feel like, I don't know that I have a great voice, or I don't really know, should I get into this, or whatever. And what God's word encourages us all to do is to sing to him. It doesn't say only sing if you have a great voice. It says sing to him. And what science tells us is when we engage with that, it changes us, and it releases chemicals in our body and in our brain. We're wired for the joy that is released when we sing together. So I just want to encourage you, uh, this is a great practice. And you may already be like, man, I'm, I'm doing that. You've already done it today. This is awesome, right? You're already taking steps towards joy. And I want you to know that we intentionally turn the music up really loud during the worship time so that no one hears you if you're a bad singer. So you don't have to worry about being off key or missing notes or whatever because it's so loud, the person to the right or left cannot 
hear you. That's awesome. For most of us that don't have great voices, right? And we can just engage in worship with a free heart. So singing, gathered singing. Third practice, gratitude. Gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says this, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So if you're here today and you're wanting to know what's God's will for your life, what's God's plan for you, what does God have for you, his word makes it clear. God desires that you would be thankful. That's God's will for your life and for my life in Jesus. And here's a great example of how the commands of God are for our joy. Because when we practice gratitude, it leads to joy in our lives. There were two psychologists at the University of Miami uh, who studied the power of gratitude. And in one experiment that they did, they took a group of people and they had a, few, uh, you know, a handful of them write down uh, things that they were thankful for every day for a week. They had another group that was to write down things that were problems in their lives every day for a week. And they had a third group that could write down whatever they felt like, just whatever, you're, whatever you got in the moment, just put it down. And they studied the impact of this little practice on people's happiness levels. And wouldn't you know it, what they found were the people that took time each day to be grateful were the people who scored the highest on their happiness level. Think about that, the power of gratitude uh, to make us more joyful. Another study uh, that was done uh, studied the impact of various kind of activities on joy. They gave people various things to do and they measured their happiness levels after doing them. And the one that had the most significant impact was when people were challenged to write a letter to someone who had invested in them in their life and to whom they were thankful. And they said the people that wrote this letter scored the highest in kind of the, the follow-up on happiness and the boost that that gave lasted for a month. The boost that writing one letter to someone expressing gratitude impacted their happiness levels for one month. And I don't know about you, but I always think I will be thankful when I feel like being thankful. But what I'm learning is we choose to be thankful, right? And then our feelings follow. We practice gratitude and then that's what creates within us this experience of joy or we grow in joy. The next one uh, is serving. So this is practice number four. Fourth practice is serving. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, the greatest among you will be your servant for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus says in his kingdom, it's going to be marked by people who serve. He said, the greatest among you is the one who serves. And what I want you to see is that that serving is one of the factors that leads to joy. That we are wired to experience joy when we serve. There was one study done where they studied the impact of volunteering on people. And they saw that people who volunteered at least once a month but less than once a week, that that volunteering had a 12% bump on their happiness levels, on their joy levels, as it came through volunteering. People that volunteered one, uh, once a week, so they were more frequent in it, 
that bump became 16%. And you're kind of like, okay, I don't really know. Like, is that a lot? Is that a little? I'm not sure how that works. That 16%, that was the same bump in happiness levels of people who uh, previously made below $20,000 a year and received a bump in their salary to seventy-five dollars to $100,000 a year. Now, when we hear that, we're like, well, of course, that big salary jump is going to make a significant difference in your happiness. And what the research shows is volunteering once a week has the same impact as that big income jump. That's mind-blowing, right? That's why, it's one of the reasons why, as a church, we emphasize serving. And we try and encourage one another to serve and to volunteer, to serve here within the church, to serve in our neighborhoods, to serve in our community. But we want to follow out Jesus' word, and when we do, it leads to our joy. The next practice is giving. I got off in my numbers here a little bit, so this is practice number five, although on the screen it'll say number four, giving. Acts 20, uh, verse 35 says, Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And I've always thought, you know, I don't know about this one because I sure do like to receive. I'm sure you like to receive. You know, but what the research shows is that we actually experience joy in our lives through giving. One study at the Harvard Business School, they uh, allocated money to people and they had them predict. They said, you can spend this however you want on yourself or on someone else. And we want you to predict, guess, which one will make you happier. And the vast majority of people voted, well, man, spending it on myself will make me happier, right? You think about that new phone that you want or the, the, you know, the clothes that you want, the shoes that you want, the experience that you want. Surely if I go out and do that, that will make me happier. What they found, though, was it was those who gave the money away to charity Those are the ones that actually were happier at the end of the experiment. Giving transforms us and leads to our joy. Why is this? Well, the National Institute of Health found that when people give to charities, it activates a region of the brain associated with pleasure, social connection, and trust. It creates a warm glow effect. They likened it to the runner's high, that if you're a runner, you know you get into running and then your body releases endorphins. And they called this the, the giver's high. That that's what kind of impact it has when we give. Okay, so next practice is community. This is practice number six. Practice number six, community. And again, I'm giving you each one of these for your joy Right, that you would look at this list and be like, maybe there's one of these that the Lord would have me take a step in this year. Acts 2, 46 through 47, describing the early church, gives this beautiful picture of what life was like. It said, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There's that joy. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. When they were in this biblical community, when they were planted in the church, they were experiencing joy. And there was another Harvard study done on a group of people across their lives. It spanned 80 years. And they were studying what impacted happiness. And one of the most significant factors of whether you and I, these people in this study and you and I, uh, were happy throughout the course of their life, one of the most significant factors were those that said they had quality, close relationships. I mean, they were in community. 
that the experience of community, the relationships there, was one of the things, one of the most significant impacts on whether someone had a happy life or not. They said it was more impacting than how much someone made. It was more impacting than their health. Uh, it was, I'm sorry, it was more impacting than uh, their social class, their IQ, or even their genes. And they said this proved true across the board amongst both Harvard men and inner city participants. That this idea of community leading to joy. So just let me encourage you, when you show up to Life Group this week, you're not just showing up to a meeting, you're not just going to a Bible study, you are taking an intentional step to invest in community and practice joy. And those relationships that you're investing in, they lead to greater joy in our lives. It doesn't mean they're always easy. It doesn't mean they're always convenient. It doesn't mean that it's just going to be all good all the time. But if we'll stick with it and we'll invest in people and build those relationships, it will mark our lives with joy over the long haul. Last practice that we're going to go over today is the practice of fasting. The practice of fasting. Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, Jesus said, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So he's telling his disciples, I find it interesting, he doesn't say, hey, if you fast, don't do this, but he says, when you fast. Like he was expecting his disciples to fast. He said, when you fast, I don't want you to like distort your face, to let everyone know that you're fasting. And I, I like to think about what would that look like. And so I'm just going to challenge you for just a moment, a little audience participation. Turn to your neighbor and give them your best fasting face. Like they would just, you know, your best face. Turn to your neighbor. Come on, we can have some fun in church. So he's saying, don't do that, right? We don't want to just kind of put on appearances. I want this to be real. I want it to be genuine when you fast. What's interesting, though, is that fasting leads to our joy. When we fast, uh, our brains release something called catecholamines. One of those is dopamine, which is the happiness uh, chemical. And it releases happiness, confidence, and helps fight anxiety. And our body releases it when we fast. That's so interesting. Uh, our church, we're about to enter into a season of prayer and fasting. Over the next 21 days, uh, we're encouraging everyone to jump in together in this time of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord. And it's for our joy. And our church, I was just thinking this week, man, God has been so faithful to meet with us and to move in power when we have fasted and prayed together. I was thinking back to our former pastors, Jordan and Christy Ogden, who we sent out in 2013 to plant a church in Ann Arbor uh, that's gone on to plant other churches, Antioch, Ann Arbor. Um, and I was thinking about them, and I was thinking about when they were a young married couple. They were part of the church, and uh, they were going through infertility uh, they had tried to have a child for about a year kind of on their own and kind of gone the emotional roller coaster that comes with that, which many uh, people within our church have experienced. After about a year, they decided to go to the doctor. They went to the doctor. They tried various things to help them conceive a child. Um, and at the end of kind of an 18-month journey, they found out that uh, Christy needed a, a significant surgery in order for them to have a chance to have a child. 
So they were willing to do the surgery, but they were like, man, who wants to have an invasive surgery like that? And the church was entering into a 10-day time of prayer and fasting. So they said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We'll move forward with this surgery after we do the praying and the fasting. We just want to take time just to open this up to the Lord and ask him to move in our lives. And so for 10 days, they prayed and they fasted, and they had friends come over every night to worship over Christy and to pray for her and to believe the Lord for breakthrough. And shortly thereafter, they conceived their first child, and they didn't just get a small breakthrough. They didn't just get like the door cracked a little bit. They now have five kids, right? So it was like the floodgates were thrown open. But their family can go back to this time of gathering with the church, gathering with our church, and talking about how the Lord met them in a time of prayer and fasting. As I've talked about this fast, I've had so many of you come to me and tell me, particularly related to the media portion of the fast, that you've done that in the past, and it's been deeply transformational on your relationship with the Lord. That taking the time to kind of pull back from all the media that we marinate on each and every day, in order to seek the Lord, just brought significant breakthrough in relationship with God. But fasting and prayer doesn't just bring breakthrough in us, it also brings breakthrough in others. And a couple years ago, we were doing what we called a breakthrough fast, May 1st through the 3rd. And we were encouraging everyone to, within their life group, to share one area of their lives where they needed breakthrough. And that as a life group, that we would rally together to pray and fast on one another's behalf. And in my life group, there was a woman there who had a very toxic relationship with the father of her children. They were not together, and it was just very contentious. Uh, It was a very unhealthy relationship. And she said, you know, this is my area of breakthrough. I need the Lord to break through in our relationship. And in my mind... I was thinking, okay, breakthrough would be like him kind of going a different way. Like just, it just was toxic. I don't know if you've ever been around people where it's like that. And that was kind of my level of faith. But during the time of prayer and fasting, we're praying and fasting for God to break through in their relationship. God to move in their life. And shortly thereafter, that summer, I noticed one Sunday uh, that the father of her children was at church by himself. He came for the first time on his own. And we got to know each other a little bit, and we, in the fall, he'd come several weeks in a row. We went to the Starbucks there on Greenville and Southwestern and met for coffee, and I shared the gospel with him. And he made a decision to follow Jesus there in that coffee shop. It was remarkable. And we began to journey with him and with them and see God move in their lives, and it was so cool. A year to the day later, May 3rd, the following year, we baptized him in our life group. And we didn't realize that it was a year later. It wasn't like a planned thing until the actual we're doing the baptism. And I thought back, I was like, you know what? A year ago, we were praying and fasting for God to move. And you were kind of on my impossible list. My, my, that's too far for God list. And here you are walking with Jesus, getting baptized in our life group relationship uh, is growing and healthier. I mean, it's just, wow, transformation and breakthrough. And I know that you have an area that you need breakthrough in your life. I know that we all do. I know that the person sitting next to you has an area that they need breakthrough in. And I know many of us have people that we're connected with that are outside of this church and even outside of the family of Jesus who need a breakthrough. And so I want to encourage you in this 21-day period to jump in together 
And let's fast and let's pray and let's believe the Lord to break through in power. The first week of the fast, uh, starting tomorrow, we're encouraging everyone to fast from food at some level. So for you, that may be a meal, that may be a day, that may be a couple days, that may be the whole week, but to abstain from feasting on food in order to feast on God. Week two, we're encouraging everyone to fast, not, not from food that week, but to fast from media that week. So to put down your phone, put down your tablet, put down your earbuds, put down all the ways that we inundate ourselves with media to take a week just to clear everything out and seek the Lord. And then the last week, we're challenging everyone to fast from negativity, complaining, and criticism. To say, for a week, I'm just not going to go there in my mind. I'm not going to go there in my words. I'm going to let my mind and my speech be centered on the things of Jesus. And we're going to believe together for breakthrough. In your life group this week, uh, you'll get a guide as a life group of the one big thing, one area that God's put on your heart to believe for breakthrough. You're going to have an opportunity to share that with your life group. And then the life group is going to pray together over the next couple weeks, contending for God to move uh, in these areas. Uh, you, on the way out, uh, we have a few of these printed, but we have uh, many online. Uh, we have a... Uh, and there you go. We have a guide, a 21-day guide for prayer and fasting with kind of a daily prayer each day. You can grab a printed copy or it's on our website uh, if you would like a digital copy. If you're on our church's email list, I will send one out this afternoon that you could have it in your email. They'll help guide you along the way. And I'm really excited to see what the Lord does as we humble ourselves and we pray and we fast. And all that leads up to, uh, in a couple weeks, our big conference for the year, World Mandate. World Mandate is our annual conference. It's the only conference we do as a church. And we try and get everyone to come together and we take the weekend to seek God. We worship together. We pray together. There's incredible uh, teaching and ministry times. And we just get stirred up for what God is doing around the world. And this is kind of like a family event, a family reunion. So I would love for you to get to be a part. And if you've been before, I'd love for you to think about, man, who is someone I can bring with me this time? Who's someone I can invite in to this this time to experience World Mandate? There's a card in your seat that you can take with you that includes details on how to register. As we close, I want to share one quote with you about how all this points to joy. And it's by Charles Spurgeon, and he was writing on the topic or speaking on the topic of joy, and this is what he said. Now that Jesus Christ has come to restore the ruins of the fall, he has come to bring, bring back to us the old joy. Only it shall be even sweeter and deeper than it could have been if we had never lost it. A Christian has never fully realized what Christ came to make him until he has grasped the joy of the Lord. Christ wishes his people to be happy. God has a passion for your joy. God has a plan for your joy. From his word, we're being equipped with practices for our joy. And I'm excited to see each one of us take steps in these areas over the coming months. I want to invite you to stand as we take time to go to the Lord now together. And we're going to do that by taking communion. And I want to encourage you as you take communion, as you come forward and take of the bread and take of the cup, to remember the Lord Jesus. Remember his grace. Remember his love for you. Remember the joy that he desires to give you. But it takes our partnership. God has given us a very real part to play. Right? We have power over our attitudes. 
We have power over our choices. And so just as we come prayerfully before the Lord, I would encourage you to prayerfully commit to the Lord. God, I want to choose your ways, and I want to choose the way of joy. And maybe one of these practices is being highlighted for you. I'm going to pray, and then the officiants will be here with communion, and you can come forward when you're ready. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you love each and every person here in this room. God, thank you that you are passionate about joy that you have a full measure of joy that's infinite and you desire to put your joy within us, God. That you desire to father us in joy. Thank you that your commands are for our joy and you give us practices to help us grow in joy, Lord. So we're looking to you, Lord, and we want to respond. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to follow your teaching. Lord, would you give us grace to obey in Jesus' name. Amen.
exalted now in the heavens as you glory. 